Everyone's heard the story. A mom is in crisis and she's able to miraculously lift a car off of her child. In a burst of adrenaline, the day is saved and the mom is a hero. The mother in our story today is no less heroic and no less awe-inspiring, but her story is quite different. Instead of a Subaru, her opponent is a cold, calculating system who cared more about shutting her up than helping her daughter. But she didn't shut up, and she would not back down. This is her story. Hey everybody, welcome to Ed on Ed, the show where we dive deep into the topic of eating disorders, looking below the surface and beyond the basic. I'm your host, Liz, and I'm ready to learn something new. I hope you are too. It's a human day here in Austin, Texas, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Ed Tyson, a physician who specializes in the treatment of eating disorders. Good morning, Dr. Tyson. Good morning, Liz. So today's episode is a little bit different. Our focus isn't on a patient with an eating disorder, is it? No, it's about a mom. A mom of someone who has an eating disorder? Correct. All right, tell me a little about her. We'll call her Erin because she reminds me of Erin Brockovich. So she has great fashion sense. <laughs> Not because of that, but because she had dogged determination. She would not stop at anything that kept her daughter from getting the care that she needed. All right. Tell me a little bit more about Erin. So Erin is a full-time teacher and she has two daughters. Unfortunately, one of her daughters develops an eating disorder. So Erin looks all over, trying to find her daughter help. She took her to the family doctor who knew nothing about eating disorders. She gets online, she calls people, she can't find anybody in the area who can help her. So then she found a website and she decided to email someone. Ooh, who's this mysterious someone? It is I. So she sends you an email. Do you respond? I do. I actually called her. And she was in the middle of teaching. Not only was she in the middle of teaching a class, but she was being observed on how she taught by her principal. As a former teacher myself, that is an incredibly stressful day. You want to be perfect in your teaching. Exactly. Every minute is being scrutinized. Yes. And that's when you send her the phone call. <laughs> that's right. And she said, I could not let this interfere with the help she needed for her daughter. So she asked the principal to take over the class for her while she took the call. So this literally was her lifeline. She was like, I don't care if I get a bad grade from my principal, I'm taking this call. Yes, and she even put the principal in the position of having to cover her class. <laughs> right, that's... I think that already goes to show how dogged, like you were saying, she is in getting help. This phone call comes in, she's going to take it. Right. So how do you help her? So I listened to the story of her daughter, and she sent to me some information about her medical condition and also... Uh, her behaviors and such. And I told her, from what I could tell, her daughter was very ill and needed to be at least at a residential program. And you know a lot of the different residential programs. So were you able to get her daughter into one? Yes. She actually found one relatively close to her, and they admitted her. 
All right, so her daughter is finally getting some help. She's in a treatment center. What happens next? She was there about three weeks, and she was told, Erin uh, was told at the beginning that the treatment would be only about four weeks. So they had a parent conference and on the Friday, and they said she is too ill and she's going to have to stay longer. Right. I mean, there's no instant timeline for recovery, right? Everybody's a little bit different. You can try to predict how long it'll take, but only in the middle of it can you actually determine what's right for that patient. That's right. So they say she's got to stay longer. Yes. And this is a Friday. Friday. Okay. Well, Monday comes around and they get a call and they say, your daughter's better and we're going going to drop her down to a lower level of care. So something really special must have happened on this weekend for her suddenly to be better by Monday, right? Yeah, did her daughter have a sudden change of heart? Did Was she struck by lightning or something that made her suddenly change? And the answer is no, that did not happen. Okay, so what did happen that weekend? Well, spoiler alert. I later got the records and I found out that Monday morning the doctors had a call with the insurance company who told them she needed to be discharged. And so they called the family and said she needs to be discharged. So insurance really has that much power? If the doctors are saying she needs longer time, insurance can just call up and say, we know what's best, she can go, without even seeing the patient? There are many ways in which insurance companies can twist the arm of a treatment center. One of them is that we're going to tell the patient we're not going to cover it anymore unless she goes to a lower level. The other one is that we can withhold making you a referral for our uh, members, which would cut off a lot of potential admissions. I don't know which one was the case here, but what happened was suddenly she was better and they discharged her to the horror of Aaron. Right. And I'm going to put better in quotes, better, according to the insurance company, who, as you're saying, called Monday morning and and then the phone call came later that Monday that, oh, she's better now. Right. So you're saying Aaron was horrified by this. Scared to death. They even approached and said, can we pay cash for her care to keep her at residential level? Right. So Erin, you know, teacher, right? It's not like she has a ton of disposable income around, but she says, we'll do I'll, I'll, I'll make something work. I'll pay cash. I don't care what the insurance said. Um, how does the treatment center respond? They said no. They couldn't do that. That she had to go to a lower level of care. So if the treatment center is pushing her down to a lower level of care, possibly because of the threat of not getting money from an insurance company then why wouldn't they just accept the cash? They get the money. Because if they say the reason they're dropping her down is because of her improving, if she gets paid to stay at a higher level of care, then it means actually she doesn't have to be at a higher level of, uh, lower level of care. She needs to be at a higher level of care. So in other words, if they take that money, they're admitting that they were lying. Yes. They're admitting that actually she is still sick. So they're put in a position where, to save face, they can't even take the money because it would show maybe some malpractice or, at the very least, negligence. 
well, at least would raise suspicion of why is cash going to do it, but not insurance. Got it. So this treatment center isn't going to do anything more for the daughter, but you and Aaron know she's still sick. So what do you do? I said that she's going to get worse, and that's exactly what happened at that lower level of care. But who's going to take her at a residential level of care when there's no insurance coverage, and this is a family of a teacher? So basically you have to find somewhere that would take her more or less for free. Right. And it turns out I knew somebody who is in it for all the right reasons, and I approached them about it, and I said... Here's the case. What can you do, if anything? And they thought about it. They thought they could help. But one of the things was that they said, when this is said and done, when she's able to, we want her to agree that she would advocate for others. So you're telling me this treatment center, this new one, Mm -hmm. is going to accept her for free, and the deal isn't, and when you're better, pay us back. The deal is when you feel capable advocate for others who are having the same problems you are. Yes. Wow. And they also said, well, keep trying to appeal. And I decided I would help her do that as well. All right. So to review what's happened so far, Erin is this teacher. Her daughter is sick with an eating disorder. Uh, She contacts you. You guys get her into a treatment center. But all of a sudden, they deny her because insurance has denied to continue covering her. You guys go to plan B, you find a new treatment center, and these people are honestly saintly and that they take her on for free under two conditions. One, that the mom help advocate for others who are in a similar position, and two, that she continues to appeal. Appeal what? An appeal is an, is an insurance term where when there has been one decision that goes against what the patient or the clinicians think is correct, it can be contested. So, Okay, so, so she's <clears throat> basically going to appeal the decision to deny her daughter care. She's going to be taking that back to the insurance company, trying to challenge that decision. Yes, and so that the new treatment center can be paid as well. Okay, so how do y'all make an appeal? So Erin has to present to the insurance company proof of why her daughter needs continued residential care. How do you gather evidence to prove that? One is you go to the literature and what's the evidence to support. One of them is that in the state where she was, there is a mandate by the legislature that anyone with a biologically based mental illness can receive parity coverage, which means they cover it at the same level as they would any medical illness, if it was diabetes, heart disease, or anything else. So just to clarify, what you're saying is if you can prove that her eating disorder is biologically based, the insurance company, at least in that state, would have to cover it as equally as they would cover any other disease. Yes. For example, if you had diabetes and you had complications and it happened several times a year or whatever, you're treated and covered. So in Aaron's state, 
the insurance company has to cover support for someone with a mental illness if that mental illness has a biological basis. So you're basically tasked with proving that an eating disorder is biologically based. How do you do that? It turns out during this time I was at the international meeting of the Academy for Eating Disorders and this topic was being discussed. So luckily, because you're somebody who is educating themselves all the time on the topic of eating disorders, you happen to be at a meeting where they were already talking about biological basis. Right. And I approached the person who presented a paper and a statement on this. And I said, here is the situation. I need experts in the field to write letters to the insurance company explaining why eating disorders are serious mental illnesses with a biologic basis. And do these experts agree to write those letters? They did. The top people in the field from all over wrote letters which were impressive and inarguable. And what is the evidence in those letters that proves eating disorders are biological? Basically, they outlined the genetic and neuroimaging studies that have been used that are the same criteria they use for any other illness that is biologically based. So these genetic and neurological studies prove that eating disorders do have this biological basis? Yes. All right. So the insurance company gets all these letters. Uh, does that win the case? No. Mm. That's frustrating. So... Just to take us back, right, you're doing all of this on the medical front, right? You're getting these experts. You're doing your part of this battle. But Erin's also part of this battle. What is she doing to try to win the case? Erin decided she better really shake things up. She goes to the newspapers. And it, in the largest newspaper in her state, they do an interview with her about what the problem is. And they also interview the head of that insurance company and so on, and putting them on the, on the spot. She also goes to the TV stations and gets time to be interviewed for that. She held a meeting at a public library where it was well attended, and she had some experts show up and speak. I love this aspect of it, right? I mean, I initially go where you went. Okay, let's give them the evidence. But it's so important when you're thinking about these huge companies that they feel pressure in multiple ways. And I love that she's thinking about the public image, the publicity, and that she's really putting herself out there in this way. It's cool that you guys are basically doing this two-pronged attack from each sides. Does she do anything else besides yes. just these interviews? Yeah, she found the home phone number of the CEO of the insurance company. <laughs> And on a weekend, she calls him at home and gets him. And he has no idea at first who he's talking to. And she starts laying down what's going on and what her insurance, his insurance company is doing. Wow. So she calls him at home and gets him on the phone. Uh, how does the CEO respond? <laughs> he was stunned at first. And then he gathered himself and said, you know, this is very important uh, on Monday, let's talk, and I'll, I'll look into it in the meantime. What happens Monday? Mondays haven't been good in this story so far. <laughs> what happens on this Monday? She calls Monday, and the secretary blocks her call and says uh, he can't meet with you. And she could never talk to him again. 
All right, so you guys have formed your appeal approach. You're hitting him with the left hook of medical facts. She's hitting with the right jab of public image. It's got to be a pretty good team y'all are going up against if they're able to say no. Who are these people (laughs) that are representing the insurance company? Interestingly, there is an appeals committee who was supposed to hear the case, had all this information, and they were to determine the medical necessity of her being in residential care versus a lower level of care. Now, notice I said medical necessity. So I assume it's a committee all of doctors and uh, medical researchers, right? Well, no. So there were two doctors on this committee. One was a pediatrician. One was an internist. Internist is adult medicine. So I asked those two doctors, what is your experience? What's your training, your expertise? And are you a member of any eating disorder professional organizations? And they had none. So even though there are two doctors on this committee, these doctors are like the doctor Aaron reached out to at the beginning. They don't actually know how to help when an eating disorder is involved. Right. They don't have any idea of the complexity or treatment involved. Now, the other members were interesting. There was somebody from HR. Somebody, I think, from, what did they call it? Something like engineering and somebody else from some other non-medical, I don't know, part of the company. And I asked them all, we're determining medical necessity. Do you feel and are you trained and licensed to make medical decisions? And if not, perhaps you need to withdraw. Right, like what are their credentials? Why, what gives them the right to make this choice? They had none, but that didn't mean they didn't vote anyway. And guess what the ruling was from them? She was denied. That's incredibly frustrating. And I think a lot of people at this point might throw in the towel. They might say, I made the best defense absolutely possible. And these people denied us anyway. Did she throw in the towel? No. She, as I told them in writing and in phone calls to people at the insurance company, you must realize this is someone who is not going to stop. And I said, why don't you just do the right thing? Just cover her bills like you're supposed to. You all know this is right. And it'll be over. But no, they kept saying no. And she kept saying yes. So she took the next step. What's the next step? She found some other people who had been denied in her state. They filed a class action lawsuit. So we're going to court. Going to court. You guys, Aaron, you, all these other experts are now taking what you've researched to court. What is this legal battle like? Of what I knew of it, it was going to a federal judge as a class action suit, and the attorneys had to do a deposition of the people involved. And I don't know who else did it, but I, I know I had a deposition. What's a deposition? That's when the attorney for the opposing side comes in with questions to ask, 
to trying to find a way where I would be wrong. Oh, so you were literally like up there in the seat, hand on the Bible, having to give testimony Basically, yes. I had to give testimony. It was sworn evidence. and All right. And so the insurance company tries to trip you up, but you've already done your homework, right? Right. They, there was no fist in their glove, and I, was, I actually enjoyed the deposition because I knew I had them. Not many people go to court and say they had a good time, but I like that. I like that you really feel like you were able to say what you needed to say. I knew they had nobody who could counter the experts. There's nobody else they can turn to. That's a good point. If all of the top experts are on your side, there's really nobody to represent the other side. Can you imagine somebody in the field standing up? No, I don't. I believe this is not the case. There was nobody who would do that. Because it's not supported by the science. Correct. Okay, so what's the outcome of this class action lawsuit? Well... The judge, um, they came to a conclusion, and, and the insurance company paid her bills, paid Aaron's bills, so the treatment center got paid, and the insurance company had to pay over $1 million to 500 people, patients, from that same state, and that in the future this was going to affect more than 1 million people and would cost the insurance company what they said would be $20 million in the next 15 years, I'm sure is multiples of that. So this is a victory for Erin, right? She gets these bills paid that she basically was just maxing out credit cards to pay, but the insurance company also owes other people like Erin And we're talking millions of dollars that they owe. So rather than the hundreds of thousands of dollars they could have just paid to Aaron up front, they're now in the hole more than $20 million. And I was sitting there thinking, told you so. Right. When you go up against Aaron, this is what's going to happen. That's right. (laughs) You got to recognize when there's a Rottweiler got a hold of you. Right. So this is a victory, but... Per chance, only in this one state, right? Because insurance laws can change state to state. It turns out the idea of serious mental illnesses being biologically based is a criterion that is being used in multiple states. So now that this has happened, it makes it a lot easier for other states to have to follow suit. So... Erin really ended up doing what that second treatment center wanted her to do, right? She used this awful thing that was happening to her daughter, and now it's affecting these other people in her state and potentially other states too. That is correct. That's a, that's a beautiful ending to this annoyingly long battle that she had to go through. It was exhausting. So I know you had the opportunity to talk to Erin on the phone this week. What are some of the insights from her perspective? Erin was excited that there was maybe going to be some of this information going out again, and maybe it would help others. She had some advice. She said, absolutely do this. Go for it. Be tireless. Know it's going to be hard, but also take care of yourself during that. She said, I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I didn't say 
is that she developed a brain tumor in all of this, and the insurance company knew it because that was her insurance company. They knew all about it. They didn't care. They, she kept going. She had to have surgery on her brain during all of this. Wow. So her health was also in serious peril during this time. That adds a whole nother layer to her determination. When we talk about moms going above and beyond for their children, sometimes we make it seem like they're superheroes who never get tired, who never ever have a struggle to actually achieve those goals. And I like that she points out that it's so important when you're being an advocate to also take the time to take care of yourself. That's healthy life advice for anybody who's going up against a system the way she did. And to take care of the other family members. Mm -hmm. It's easy for a sibling, for example, to get lost in this or understandably not have as much attention as the one who's ill. That is, that is a big balance of what do you do when you're giving your all for one of your daughters when you also have another one that you need to be helping out as well. Right. How is her daughter now? Her daughter is married and is expecting her second child. And Erin described her daughter as being very resistant this time to the eating disorder. In other words... There's no evidence that the eating disorder is showing itself at all anymore. Oh, that's, that's so good to know that the daughter is healthy now. Not only did the insurance pay what was owed, but also that she did get help and she got better, which was the whole point of this thing anyways. There's one thing that I didn't mention earlier. Her daughter had a slip and went back into her eating disorder. So how do you think the insurance company handled it? They didn't do the same mistake again, did they? Yes. When will these people learn? <laughs> I suspect they have number crunchers who sit down and say, well, for every person who's going to cost us this, we can do this for this number of thousand people and save this much money over 10 years or whatever. <clears throat> In Aaron's case, they calculated wrong. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Something I'm going to take away from Aaron's story is this, you know, just relentless way you have to fight these type of companies that, like you say, look at numbers and aren't really looking at the reality. Is there anything else Aaron wanted to share before we move on to our overall takeaways? She would encourage others to do exactly the same thing, to remember that a single person can do a whole lot for this. She relayed a story that happened to her, she said, three years ago. She went into a store to do some shopping, and suddenly a woman came up to her and said, may I give you a hug? And Aaron said, I don't even know you. And she said, you don't know me, but I know you. And what you did with the insurance companies helped save my daughter's life. Can I give you a hug? And of course they did. She said that blew her away. That's, that sealed it for her. I mean, I definitely want to give Erin a hug, yes. too. <laughs> she's a lovely person. Oh, what a beautiful moment of how she's reached all of these other people. In her fight to protect her own child, she helped this woman's child, too. And she had no idea who it was. She had no idea of the circumstances. But this person knew who she was. What do you take away from this experience? 
One is what a single person who is determined can do. She, she really changed the world. Another is that the system itself is designed specifically to make it hard for people to go against it. But there are people who can help, and there is evidence out there, and you can confront insurance companies and others with the data, with the, in, with the science to help you. Have you continued this battle with the insurance companies? Yes. I have helped many people in their appeals and arguments, with an, and even just to get admitted to, an insurance com- uh, to a treatment center. I have helped people get in who were being at first denied. So I learned a lot from this. Yeah, I really see this kind of spider web, right? Like branching out from the advocacy that Erin started. Basically, she kind of set you up to continue doing the work. She was able to help these other parents who are able to do the work. I mean, it's really just ripples outward from this one woman's determination that's affected so many more. Yeah, I have now stuff I give to my patients and their parents and to others on how to exactly fight the appeals process and so on and to win their cause. Because you got trained through this process. I got trained through the process and I learned so much. I love that. Do you know how many states now have a similar law to the one that got passed where she was? I tried to find all of that. I, I, I think the majority of the states have something similar to that. That doesn't mean that the insurance companies won't try. Right, because, I mean, they tried it on her, yeah, literally they, after going through that whole they process. They knew all along we were correct. They knew. But they thought if they fought... They would avoid the downstream cost, but they lost. That's part of my big takeaway from this is being able to see the actions of this insurance company as we go through this case really lights a fire underneath me. I think in the U.S., uh, unfortunately, so many people don't have insurance that a lot of our talk about what people should be receiving is literally just should they get insurance and how do we make sure people have access to insurance? But the reality is that these companies, even when you have it, might not be serving their clients' best interest. And that needs to be part of the conversation when we're talking about the medical health of our entire system, right? Yes. She was paying the insurance company. She For years. was supposed to be under their care. And instead, they're literally the people she's fighting against that she's trying to convince to help her out. Um, That, to me, is disgraceful. And I'm glad that you're continuing this fight and that you're preparing others to do it. But the reality is, this woman should not have had to go through this battle. She should have gotten what she was already paying for. Um, And I'm glad she did it, but she shouldn't have had to do it. I tell parents and patients from the beginning... They need to be prepared for battle. Insurance companies do not mind taking advantage of a family or a person who's really in trouble, who's seriously ill. They do not mind putting up all these roadblocks. 
Now, I will also tell you that it's actually not better in countries that have uh, governmental care because they're trying to save money. And is this really something that's requiring this level of care? Really? It can be that much trouble there, too. So I want this to be a PSA for all insurance agents and CEOs out there. You might think you're saving money by screwing over families like this, but there are a lot of errands out there. And there are a lot of people like you, Dr. Ed, who have educated themselves, gathered the evidence, and are going to fight back. So really, maybe you're not saving money in the long run. Which I think brings me to my final point. Uh, we focused on Erin as this singular woman creating this massive change. And that is true. That's the truth of this story. But also, she got a team. She got a team of people who were able to support her. A team in you, in those people you reached out to, in the newspaper people she reached out to who were able to give her publicity. And I think that's huge. You know, you don't have to do this alone. If you're a parent or if you're someone with an eating disorder who feels powerless against a company like this, find your team. Find those people who can take over the parts of the fight that you don't have capacity for. Right. And when you get tired, they can also take up the slack and take off. I forgot to mention that all of this, with her case, led to the Academy for Eating Disorders to produce its first position statement. And that is that eating disorders are serious mental illnesses that are biologically based. Lastly, I just want to say how proud I am to be a part of exposing more people to this story and how honored I am to be somebody who is a part of educating more people on this. And yeah, Erin, if I ever see you, I want to give you a hug. She would love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Tyson, for sharing your expertise in this very special story. And thank you, listener, for taking the time to learn something new. Till next time, I'm Liz. And I'm Dr. Ed. And this has been Ed on Ed. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Ed on Ed Podcast. And if you learned something today, please take a moment to rate, review, or follow us. But the best way to help our podcast grow is to recommend it to a friend or family member who you think will get something from our discussions. Thank you for our podcast cover art from at Tyson Creation on Instagram. Thank you as well to In Between Productions for producing and editing this podcast. You can check them out at inbtwnprod.com or at inbetween underscore productions on Instagram. If you are interested in being an advertising partner or creating original music for the podcast, or if you want to send us topics you'd like us to cover in the future, please reach out to edonedpodcast at gmail.com.